Hey everybody, welcome back to The Dance Up, where we're shining the light of cultural competency between dance and healthcare. I'm Dr. James Walters, a chiropractor at Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic, located in upstate New York. And I'm Danielle Lydia Sheather, assistant professor of dance. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about cross-training via weightlifting from a student perspective. And our guest today is Addison Cox, dance education major at Southern Utah University, who graduated in April 2023. So welcome, Addison. We'll give a little bit of time for you to introduce yourself. Let our listeners know a little bit about you. Hi, I'm Addison Cox. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I began dancing when I was 13. I got a slow start. I was put in the little classes at junior high. And from there, my mom saw how much I loved performing through a Lion King performance where we had a big drape of fabric going down the front. And that was our so-called costume and that was it <laughs> and then from there she put me in a ballet and a lyrical class and the year after that she saw how much I loved it and we figured out how to put me in company class which included all of the trainings from ballet modern jazz lyrical hip-hop I say that lightly and um yeah I decided to go into dance in the university okay well we prepared some questions for you but of course you know we tend to run on some tangents if you've heard anything about the dance up you probably noticed that about us so I think my my perspective with you has been a wonderful journey just to watch you grow in terms of dance education as well not just as an artist and certainly wow, you've blossomed in in ways that are just wonderful and beautiful to watch, but especially with respect to dance education and the ways in which you you kind of, you know, you've talked a little bit about kind of stumbling into weight training, that it wasn't something that you were necessarily all about, but that it all of a sudden became something that was really a, a, a part of your identity, a part of who you are as a dancer, but also as a human being. So I guess the first thing is, if you could tell us, you know, and these, there's like three questions to this first one. So the first one, just tell us a little bit about how you even became interested in weight training, because was it a, a means to cross train for dance? Or was it really like, I just, I feel like I need something else to do. So talk to us a little bit about that first. My cross training in weightlifting was not in a means for dance and wasn't ever structured for that reason. Um, I think that's where a little bit of conflict comes in. Sometimes when people ask me questions (laughs) about like what I do. Um, But I started weightlifting because I had three serious injuries. I had pulled my right and left hamstring and then also had some major issues with my back. I hurt my back freshman year in college and I was laying on the ground for a week or two. And as I slowly began to move again, we went into COVID land and all of our dance studies were in our bedrooms. So healing wasn't done in the proper way. And when we came back in the fall and started dancing, everything fired up again all at once. And I had a sit down conversation with my lovely professor, Danielle, (laughs) and she told me, hey, Addison, um, you need to get these looked at. Otherwise, you might not have a career in dance. And I know that with love, but that told me everything I needed to do to start figuring out my body and make sure that I could have a longevity in dance. So I had 
sprinkled in weightlifting with a roommate of mine who is actually a bodybuilder. And that's kind of how I found weightlifting. And at that time, she was going through prep. And so I was like, this isn't healthy. You don't look healthy and you are happy. You are eating a very strict diet. You are going to the gym, spending hours on end. She would go and train for two, three hours and then do posing sessions afterwards. Mm. And then she would come home, eat and go to bed. And I have never seen someone so miserable (laughs) as she was in that moment. And so it was not something that I necessarily loved, but like she had taken me a few times and I was like, okay, I can roll with this every once in a while, but it was never something that stuck. And after my conversation with Danielle, I kind of was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna see if this is something I can get into. And I started going to the gym and I had had a previous conversation with another friend of, I'm going to try going to the gym. And she was like, okay, me too. And I started going to the gym and she texted me two weeks later and she said, when are we going to, when are we going to start going? And I was like, I've already been there. Are you going to come join me or not? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, okay, well here we go. And we started going together. So we had a buddy system going on. Not everyone has that opportunity of someone to go with. But we were able to bring our desires of wanting to train together. And that helped keep us accountable in our practice. And that's, yeah, that's why I started weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And I, you know, it's funny uh, to go back to this idea of, you know, injuries, I think something happens in dance in terms of mental health when somebody gets injured is this idea of, I don't want to admit that something's wrong. And then if I do admit this, so then I, you know, maybe we have to sit out of classes or maybe we have to, whatever that is. And then this, we talked a little bit about this on another podcast, but where, um, what happens to the psyche when I have to watch my peers dance and I can't dance all of these made up stories inside your head start to happen where you're like, okay, well, there's no end in sight. I can't heal myself. I can't. Right. And I, and I use heal myself really, you know, very, very, very lightly and not esoterically under any circumstances, but this idea that an injury can be more information for our body, right. To help us grow in a way that we, you know, that maybe it was weak, maybe it was too strong. Maybe it was too flexible. Maybe it was whatever the case may be. So trying to change the mindset of what is an injury, right? I think that's the first thing that you touched on a little bit that like, you know, and I, I am, I am probably the tough love professor. Uh, and I'm okay with, I'm okay with wearing that hat. I really am. Which I love and we all need <laughs> tough love. Well, and In I just, every situation. <laughs> Well, and for me, I just, I want to see everybody succeed to the best of their abilities. And and one of those things is learning how to, how to take care of ourselves and, and not getting in sort of that like hamster wheel scenario where I'm injured. It's never going to get better. It's not going to, nothing's happening. And of course, right. You could have relied, it's COVID. It's going to stink. It's going to, you know, we can go down that dark path. I've seen people do it. Um, And so I just want to congratulate you too, on like really being like, okay, you're right. Something is wrong right and and addressing that especially you know i find it interesting and maybe um james you might might want to speak to it but she said both her hamstrings and it was your lower back right if i'm remembering correctly yeah Yeah. so james you want to i mean obviously we're not diagnosing that's not (laughs) podcast. this is not what's happening it's a big disclaimer i'm saying it right now but what are like what are connected right yeah no i could also say i think it was due to 
um, too much flexibility and not enough strength, but I would like to hear James's idea on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I was just going to say the, the, I, I mean, coming into this episode, I was really excited because especially in how you introduced it, you like chose to go and approach it with weight training. You know, obviously Danielle had given you the idea of like, Hey, we need to take care of this and, and treat this seriously. And I think it's important because you know, a lot of the times it takes those wake up calls to start changing how we do things. And it's interesting that you, you went into weight training and were very positive about it, where I think traditionally dancers kind of have a hesitation to go into that direction because yeah, something we've talked about before is that there tends to be, um, and it tends to be more female dancers versus male dancers, um, a favoring towards flexibility without reinforcing that with strength. And so when you can move something through a wide range of motion and do so repetitively, but you don't have the strength to stabilize it. Yeah. You get a lot of the tendon and ligament injuries. I always explain to dancers, like, depending on the injury you get, it'll tell you what you aren't doing because if it's tendon and ligament, you're not supported and you're not strong. And if it's muscle, you're, you're not stretching enough. You don't have the flexibility. And with dancers, it's almost always the ligament tendon injuries. So kind of like the hamstrings and then low back is, you know, just the the dance posture is very much what they call a hyperlordosis. We really arch our back. In school, we kind of learn them as the tada sports, whether it's gymnastics, whether it's dance, we have that very large bow in our back and that kind of pheasant chesting up above. Um, I'm interested in like, were, when you started the, the weight training, what did you ever have that moment of, oh, I shouldn't do this for dance or I'm going to get too big? Or did anyone in your class kind of tell you that? Or, or was that kind of, because again, that's a lot of what I hear back from dancers when I encourage them to cross train. This is kind of silly, but when I was growing up, my entire family weightlifted. My mom grew up nice. weightlifting, my aunt and uncle, my brother, almost everyone I know in my close circle was weightlifting. And they were like, Addison, come like weightlift with me. This is, mind you, when I'm in high school. And I'm like, no, I can't. I can't get bulky. Like, I can't look like not a dancer. And my uncle, in fact, sent me an article saying, actually, that's not going to happen. And I was like, no, I don't trust you. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny, though? Like, like, we will believe stuff hook, line, and sinker in the dance studio. Like, we'll just like, okay, okay, that's true. So let's just, that must, if, you know, one person says it, then it must be true, right? Because it butts Mm -hmm. up against the, like, aesthetic that we think we need to have or has been reinforced in some cases, too. Yeah. Wow. And then from there, like, when I started actually training again, I got to see an example of like my roommate who was a bodybuilder and like my eyes she's a bikini competitor I didn't think she ever looked bulky and granted she was in the start of her training as well she's done like one or two competitions at this point but bulky wasn't something that I had attached to when I saw her frame so I was like okay this is something that I can try and I modified like when I started training I was looking at YouTube videos and they were often bodybuilding structured plans just because that's the connection to weightlifting I had. And then I was like, okay, well, if I'm actually worried about my body, what am I going to make sure that I'm doing to make sure I'm doing things safely? And from there, I got an online coach because I was very concerned about my injuries and making sure rehabilitation was happening correctly Mm. granted she wasn't meant for like she doesn't have the knowledge for like making sure that 
it's 100%, but she knew how to structure plans effectively and how to support those things. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I think it's a part of it that plays into it too is, I mean, I remember being in, in the companies and, you know, the beginning of the year, a lot of them would do the, let's bring in a nutritionist to talk to people. And it was always a conversation of what not to do and how to limit intake, never how to like properly fuel. So it was always like how to go into a carb deficit, not like how to make sure the things you're eating are, are supplying you the way you need. And, you know, some of the things when I'm talking about cross training <laughs> and, and doing like weighted squat exercise, even and dancers will bounce back and say, well, I don't want my glutes to get too big. I don't want my quads to get too big. I'll always use the analogy of like, you know, the rock doesn't look like the rock because he lifts, you know, half a thousand pounds every day. He looks like that because he lifts half a thousand pounds every day while eating 24 meals a day. You know, if you're not, yeah. you're not going in that route, you're not going to just blow up because you did an extra set of pushups. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, and I, I think too, yeah, that, you know, we talk a lot about like positive reinforcement and positive right. education and all this stuff. And then we have, you know, a nutritionist that will come in or we have somebody who comes in from the jammers, but don't do, don't do, don't right. do. And we know that, right? Like a, a child, don't touch the stove. Don't touch, they're going to touch the stove. <laughs> like, that's just what's going to happen. So I, it's always so interesting. It's not interesting, it's ridiculous to me, but I think too, if we can start to lean into the positive and Addison, what I love about your story too, is that you really use the connection that you had to it from your childhood. Like you had some, even though initially you didn't believe them and that's okay too, right? A healthy dose of like, I'm not sure I'm going to go. I don't believe right. you, you know, but when it's a healthy dose of, I believe these folks that might not know that, that we, you know, we can have these conversations and I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the myths that you heard as you were starting to train, whether that was myths that you had heard initially or myths from other dancers or choreographers or teachers or anything like that, that you had heard initially so that we can maybe try to educate our listeners around. These are actually myths. These are not realities. Um, oh, there's a lot of myths in the fitness industry. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I ended up on when I started weightlifting, I immediately ended up on like fitness TikTok. That is a deep, dark place. Like yeah. a lot of people do not know what they are talking about. And I think people have to realize that, that mm -hmm. you cannot trust every word on the internet. So what are you doing to fact check what these people are saying so some of the things that I would do when I started my training I took it very seriously and I was like okay so how am I going to make sure I'm doing this properly I would fact check them on the back end so things like google scholar and reverse search the things that they were saying and seeing if I could find a connection or if it was complete wazoo because if it was <laughs> not valid and didn't have any substance I would just throw it out and then I would go to another source and try and go from there. But I also had a coach who also believed in telling you the truth. She knew what she could do and only could do certain things. For example, like one day I asked her about nutrition and she goes, I can give you percentages of what I think you should be eating of like your macros, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what you need and what you should eat because those things I don't have the right to tell you that I'm not a registered dietitian and I really appreciated that so one of the things I was worried about when I first started was getting bulky which in from 
that meant like muscle was going to take over my body and I was going to lose like my dancer frame. I, when I started weight training, I don't think I had a dancer frame, but also I think every body should be a dancer frame. So that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Well, Um, the stigma around what is a dancer's body anyway, right? right. Like if we put on music and in like a kindergarten class, nine times out of 10, the kids are going to dance, right? They're going to like do some kind of groove, right? And none of their bodies look the same. You know what I mean? But for whatever reason, we've gone into this system of, okay, this, well, I know why the reason is, let's be totally clear. About that. <laughs> but we, you know, we've, we've stigmatized that this is a dancer's body. This is not a dancer's body. Um, to the point where I even think we've stigmatized like even genres, right? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I would say too, have you heard this myth? Cause sometimes I agree. Like I've de- obviously we've all heard the bulky one, but I'm going to lose my flexibility. Yes, you're not going to lose your flexibility. (laughs) I increased my flexibility because I actually had the strength to keep my flexibility. Like if you are going to do a leg extension, how do you expect to hold it up without strength? Right. So how is it going to get higher if you don't have the muscles to keep it up? Mm. (laughs) That is, yes. That's a perfect way of saying that. Because yeah. I know so many dancers. I was one of them when when I was dancing down in Tennessee. I was it was really big for me. I wanted to try and actually get my split, and I very very nearly got it. I could never like fully relax and do it. Um, but passively, when I would stretch, I would be very very close to it, and yet my jetés, I would get frustrated because nothing was changing. My legs were not extending any higher or anything like that, and it was because I was not. At that point, I was in a ballet company. I had in the mindset I couldn't eat, so I ate very little. I tried to stay as thin as possible, and it's like, no, I had nowhere near the strength needed to lift the leg up when I was jumping in in order to do those things. So it's exactly like you said, like weight training and strength training will help your flexibility as long as you're stretching on top of it. To bring back your point of earlier of like, you have to be eating enough to be building muscle. So how are we going to learn how to fuel ourselves properly? to gain muscle for me my personal path was I knew that like I couldn't afford a registered dietitian but I was in college so what class can I take well nutrition related to sports and fitness and I was the only athlete in that course the only one yeah every single other person in that class was a nutrition major but I think it's beneficial for every athlete and dancers to take that course because I learned how to fuel my body. And I realized I even I was building muscle while under eating, I should be eating way more than what I thought at that point, I should have been eating 2700 to 3000 calories a day. And I was eating on the low end of like 21. Wow. So I learned how to do that myself and I can change what my nutrition needs are because I had the opportunity and like figured out, Oh, this is how I support myself and my training. Mm -hmm. And now I don't like necessarily count the calories that I eat, but because I did for a little bit, I know kind of how to structure those things and I eat whatever I want. Yes. I like 
have my fun foods every once in a while because you can't sustain anything if you're also not enjoying the food you're eating. Sure. <laughs> well, and I want to go back to to what your um what your original coach said, which was like, you know, I'm interested. I have these questions about nutrition, and you know, they flat out just said this is not my expertise, and that's something that we've really been talking a lot about on the podcast too. Is just that you know. James, you, you say this all the time and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I know you're going to say it in a much more articulate way, but that every athlete is going to be different and dance is this huge bucket. It's not this tiny little like, okay, so we're, we all operate all the same all the time. That's like ridiculous. No, we don't. And so I just, I want to encourage everyone too, like when you're finding a team, whether that's a, a your dance educators, your teachers, your choreographers, your, your um, medical practitioners, your dietitians, your whoever, your trainers, right? That you are making sure that they're giving you and, and admitting when they don't know. My favorite thing to say, say like all, I say a lot. I'm like, I don't, I actually don't know, but let me see if I can get you in contact with somebody who does. Um, Cause I, I think we, we can't claim to be experts on everything all the time. Right. That's awesome that you had somebody who really, you know, said, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. So let me tell you how you can for that matter. Um, okay. So talk to us a little bit about where you are with your weight training now. Are there any like milestones that you're proud of? Is there anything that um, you've learned along this journey? Cause the journey has been how long now? Remind me. Oh, I, two years and almost three months. Okay. Awesome. So it's been a little bit, okay. but also I still consider myself more on the new side. Um, I just because I've seen people, but also everyone always has room to grow. Um, I think right now I'm really proud of how I approach my relationship with weight training. As in, I'm flexible with my training if I need to miss because I have other things going on that that's okay. When I started, I didn't miss days that. I like had my set split for the week and I made sure I went, which was needed at that point in time because it helped my mental health and it still does help my mental health. But I do also understand that my body needs rest and rest is equally important as the physical training. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. And I also I'm really proud that I feel like I am in a space where I can start to help others. I know my body very well and my needs, and I'm starting to be able to notice and help the people around me if they do want help. Yeah. sounds like you've become a little bit of a resource, right? But then also that you've just, you've, you know, I think whenever we start something new, right. We're like, I'm going to go all in. Cause I, I think that's also a little bit of dictator mentality, right? It's like, oh, oh, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> immediately, um, which is fun, but it's also like, whoa, slow down. So it also sounds like you found a way to adopt it in a really healthy way, in a way that feels um, secure and supports your your multiple things that happen in one day, right? I think majoring in dance is wild, right? Because you're in the theater some days and you're there till very late. And then I go very early in the morning to work out. Other people go somewhere if they have a split in the day where they can go a tiny little window or whatever. And so I think there's, it, it's all, and then like, okay, I'm going to eat on the run then because I don't, you know, and we're just constantly moving. And I think that there's another, that that's a huge milestone, I would say for you to, to be able to know, okay, this is the schedule. Okay. You know what? Today, this isn't going to happen or today that's not going to happen. Right. I think that's super healthy. Well, and what that effectively is, is you're 
actually recognizing and, and like scheduling in your rest periods, like you said, you know, you need to rest and recover. The, a lot of the go, go, go nature of dance often means we, uh, we just ignore the part of our body that says I'm exhausted and I need to sleep. <laughs> and we'll just like, oh, we'll, we'll keep on going. And then like that, that is how you get those long, um, uh, you know, those overuse injuries. And that's how you create that thing where you just like crash after a show. And like, that's something you hear dancers talk about a lot too, right? Like I just need to get through the show and then I can like crash. And it's like, well, could we do it in a way where we don't have to crash afterwards by giving ourselves that time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love what you just said too. I always, I, I do this. I like, look at what I have to do for the next three weeks. And I'm like, okay, week four, you know, and you're like, right. that is a long time, 30 days away, <laughs> you know, but we, it's so, yeah, it is really unhealthy pattern of how we can, uh, cause we want to do all the things too. I think sometimes there's that, like, uh, there's a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses in our field too, right. Where like we have, right. you know, if I'm not doing it and everybody else is doing it, but somehow I'm missing out, but we're also ignoring that thing in our head. That's like, I'm tired. I need a break. Can you give me a break? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you touched a little bit about on this, but I'd love to hear a little bit more. So how you think your weightlifting has helped your physical and or mental health. So talk to us a little bit about your hamstrings and your back now. Like, how are you feeling? How are things going? What's are are there things where you're like, oh, OK, I'm going to need to start doing something to make that feel better. Those kinds of things. Yeah, I am very aware of my body now and what it needs I did have like a extreme discomfort last Sunday and I immediately brought it up to Danielle the next day (laughs) and I was like hey so this is a thing and we poked around and figured that it's probably my psoas and so I went home and I did the stretches that she gave me then the next day I was in modern and I had went up went up to my professor and I was like hey I think I'm gonna need to like I'm gonna do what I can but I think at some point I'm gonna need to step out and I don't step out of modern class that's not a thing I do (laughs) and so I was like okay if I'm stepping out of modern maybe this is a we go get this checked out situation and I went to the chiropractor immediately following that class and found out that my hip flexors were on fire and got all of the things looked at and both my hamstrings are now on the tighter end so had to give them extra care for the past week and the pain started in my lower back so it was like all of the things that I had issues with before I'm really glad that I've known how to like take a step back from things when I need to because in the past I wouldn't have, and I think I would have gotten myself injured by now. Mm. And then alongside like my mental health, weight training is like my me time. Before yeah. I started weight training, I did not know how to structure a schedule for myself that was balanceable. Um, I ended up in Instacare after a few semesters in college, like at my start of college just because my loads were so heavy I started with 18 credit hour semesters and rehearsals and it was a whole new experience in a whole new town and I would go to Instacare and they're like there's nothing wrong with you (laughs) and I was like what do you mean there's nothing wrong with me I'm obviously not okay and they're like what's going on in your life and it like came down to you are over like you've been overworked and you're stressed 
So you need to take a step back. And so once I started weight training, I learned how like that was my form of self-care of, okay, well, if this is something I want to make a priority in my routine and life, then what am I going to do to make sure that I do that? And that ended up creating a schedule where I knew what my school load needed to be and what my rehearsal schedule needed to be so that I could, A1, get enough sleep, could handle my school load and my rehearsal load, Mm -hmm. and then also make time for the gym and recovery and eating as well. So it became very much a self-care moment. And through those conversations, I was also able to step back and realize, oh, I do have some other things going on. Now I have the strength and the time to address them. So if there was ever like conflict or challenge in my private life, I could start addressing them because I had the time to do so. And I was willing to do so because I was sitting with myself and getting more comfortable with that alone time, which before I was not comfortable with. Yeah, well, and you're touching on some really wonderful things because I, you know, you move to a new town, you don't know anyone, you know, you've seen dance under the auspices of the things that you've seen them under, because that's where we are. We're all a product of wherever we came from. And then all these other avenues start to open up and there's all these possibilities. And it's like, you're standing on the buffet and you're like, I'm going to eat all of it because if I don't, then I'm not going to get the best education or I'm not going to, whatever that thing is. And so that self-discovery, I think is, it sounds like weight training for you was like an anchor where it could kind of anchor you into like, okay, you you know, we got to, we got to address and we got to have some, like, I don't want to say like self-actualization. I feel like that's like kind of heady, but I do a little bit, right. This idea of self-assessment, this idea of like sitting down with oneself. Okay. What is important to me? Why is it important to me? And how can, if this is very important to me, then I need to start prioritizing where I'm putting my energy and how I'm putting my energy. And I feel like when those things fall into place, we have a better understanding of you know, that personal thing that happened in my life, it's actually not that big of a deal or Mm -hmm. it is. And I know how to address it. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be weight training, right? It could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could be Pilates. It could be whatever it is. It could be walking. Like we live in the mountains. We could go for a walk in the mountains, a drive in the mountains, whatever. But that idea to really sit with yourself and, and identify the really important things in your life, I think is, is really shows so much maturity and growth. Well, and you described it as a, like your self-care moment, which I really relate to, because that's always kind of when, when I was still dancing, like the, the times in my career, when I was able to weight train and tackle that and not have to be limited by like a certain weighing a certain thing and looking a certain way, those were always like, I would throw my headphones on, like just zone out to music and do what I wanted to at the gym and feel good about myself afterwards because you were you were working out in a different way and strengthening so i i think that the way you described it as the the self-care and like your me time there's mm-hmm. something to say for whether it's a just in general whether it's a hobby or weight training or something like to have that thing is like an escapist moment from the rest of the stress and like that that's huge for mental health and with physically active people it often is just another version of a physically active thing <laughs> and i think it's also important to realize like am I doing this because I want to do it or am I doing it because someone is telling me to do it? If you are doing something because someone is telling you to do it, maybe it's not the right thing for you. Maybe you can find a sort of cross training. Like for us, it's a dancer. You can find a form of strength training outside of a weight training practice. You can find a way to cross train without it. So 
what is the right path for you and what makes you want to do it because it's not sustainable without that. Mm. Mm. As a, as a whole, how have you, how do you feel about your dancing and like a post weight training versus pre weight training? Do you feel like it's had a positive impact on, on your dance training itself or how your dance like output? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't see my face right now. Danielle <laughs> might want to speak to this as well because she's watched my journey. <laughs> well, but for me, thing, yeah, I, I'm going to say oh, that. No, you go. You talk. I, the confidence. I think, you know, like, yes, you've improved technically. Absolutely. But I think for the, the there's always that little, um, sometimes when we're unsure, there's a hesitation in movement, I would say that happens. And I like the confidence is just so there, like everything else for me, for you is icing on the cake, <laughs> you know, but you talk about it because it's you. <laughs> I would say a lot of my dance practice now is for me and not for the people around me. Um, and I think that speaks in like the work that I'm doing as well. Like I put on my own show and that whole show is about like finding yourself and self-discovery and yes of course about my journey but I also wanted to open up a space for dancers to find that for themselves as well and that was important to me but I don't participate in activities that I don't like dance practices that don't aren't beneficial to my body and soul and how I connect to my movement I just don't find it necessary anymore I don't do things for other people, which is really nice because I used to live under the opinion of everyone else's and of everyone else and what they thought of me. And of course, those like little sneaky thoughts always tend to come in. But I tend to just like, okay, yeah, I had that thought and I let it pass instead of letting it take control and carry a heavy weight with me. Yeah, that's that is that. (laughs) And I also see that in my audition experience as well because I used to take audition and casting to my heart and I I had an audition a little while ago and it just didn't go well (laughs) and your girl got kicked off the zoom very fast and I was like okay and I had a good giggle and then I let it be (laughs) like I didn't take it seriously I realized that's not the environment for me and I moved on to the next thing Mm -hmm. well and I think too with these new zoom auditions too like needing to be very clear with the participants before they get in the room like all of those things and also it's just so weird right like let's just call it it's a bit weird audition (laughs) you know especially like I'm thinking of the ways in which we got so like our cast close physically we weren't necessarily close like some of us didn't like each other right like that happened um, but the, the, the proximity to, to people and then to have to audition on zoom, it's just so impersonal. It's so strange. It's so right. Um, and the fact that you could just laugh at it and be like, well, I mean, that was that right. Because this is, you know, it's the nature of where we are right now, but it's also important. Like, that's why I bring up the confidence. Cause just in the way that you take class now, the way that you are able to articulate information to dancers, when you're a choreographer, the way that you can um, take ownership over material. Um, those are some of the things that I've seen. And of course, like, yes, she can turn better and her leg goes, better, <laughs> right? Like, right, yes, right. we can talk about those things too, because I think some sometimes people want that like quantitative thing. And all of those things are true as well. But I think there's, there's a jump higher, right? Uh, whatever. There's all of those things. But I think ultimately 
what it can serve is it can serve like the human being and then the dancer is just therefore elevated right that's mm-hmm. that's what i've seen okay so i we wouldn't we w- this wouldn't really be complete if we didn't also because addison is also quite a good writer and so she did so here at the university you have to participate in a capstone project and it, it, it's pretty open but addison was really 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 interested in weight training so talk to us a little bit about that idea of like okay i like this from a physical perspective i want to write about this in theory so was it just kind of a natural progression of like, I really like, and we, we tend to, I will say this, we tend to tell students, write about something you like, because if you don't, it's a very long process, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and sometimes students, I don't know, sometimes they follow that advice, sometimes they don't. But ultimately, what made you kind of decide like, oh, I really want to kind of go into this. And you had mentioned you, you had already gone on Google Scholar and you'd already kind of had these conversations with yourself um, while you were in the physicalized practice. For me, it was pretty natural. And like the writing process, I knew that this class was coming up for me. And I had heard from past seniors, oh, this class is a heavy one. It's a doozy. And I also heard about their topics alongside of that. And I knew from that point on, I didn't want to have the same experience as they were in their writing practice. And there was nothing screaming my name in the dance field as much as my passion for weight training and how it benefits dance. I had done a few, or I had done a weightlifting seminar for the university that year before. And I knew from that from that seminar, (laughs) that I was going to be writing my capstone paper on this nothing else felt authentic to me. And I knew that I wanted to continue my research. So this was a great way to do it and get credit for it. <laughs> kill two birds right. with one stone. I guess. So <laughs> um, what we try to tell us, right? And like, don't reinvent the wheel. Like, pick right. you know, pick something that you enjoy. Yeah. Okay. So then, so some conclude. Well, we talked a little bit about the myths that you discussed in your paper earlier in this episode, and then some conclusions that you you came to from working with scholarly articles, some other uh, studies that have been done. And you actually, I, you give like a sort of smaller, or it's not smaller, it's a, uh, it is like a proposed training program. So maybe let's start there. Let's talk about the proposed training program. Okay. Let me, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> this plan was actually a plan I had given to the students at the weightlifting seminar that I had done the year prior. This plan, because I am not technically certified, which I have my own beefs with about people who just get certifications and don't actually go through the course to learn. They just do it for the piece of paper. Anyways. (laughs) Oh, James. Um, Well, yeah, let's put a pin in that one. But yep. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I created this plan with Alex um, Bradshaw Yerby and also Christine Sampson, who was the professor for the master's athletic program and she approved it because I don't have that certification and so we wanted to make sure that the material I was giving the students was correct and would nourish their dance training but for the most part it was 
created off of student needs and who had the dancers that had gone to our dancer clinic in SEU at the time took documentation of their injuries and we kind of created a plan to best support the dancers that were attending those clinics. So that's how this plan came into fruition. Weight training plan based on their injuries. Mm -hmm. What I love too is that you you thought about the population, right? It wasn't just like a, you know, I I say this all the time, but in some dance education books, you'll open it up and it's like, or syllabi, I should say, you open it up and it's like, okay, if my student understands something as easy as like, okay, a tondu can have an accent out and it can have an accent in. And none of my students are getting that accent in on a tondu. They're just like not getting it, can't get it, aren't getting it. And the syllabus says that I have to teach the tondu on the extend out. Then they go into choreography and they can't do it. Am I effectively teaching the people in the room or am I effectively getting them to pass this test? Right. (laughs) I think sometimes that gets really tricky. But James, let's talk a little bit about this idea of certification and and what it can mean and what it maybe should mean or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of like you said, there's there's definitely people out there who love the, you know, in in the the medical field, healthcare field, it's the alphabet soup that comes after their names and they may either use it limitedly or kind of just go out and, and, you know, headhunt courses for that reason. But like you said, if, if you're not there and absorbing the information accurately, you're never going to use it properly. We had a uh, applied clinical nutritional science at my Cairo school, and I had a, a friend while I was there tell me, uh, you know, he, he was taking it at the same time as his doctorate. And I'm like, so how do you like it? He goes, well, the information's really good, but I don't have enough time because I'm doing it at the same time as my doctor to really dive all the way into it. But the good news is I can still get a good grade by just kind of skimming it. And I like heard that. I'm like, so you're going to have this degree. You're going to like have this sort of authority that you wield with it as a result. And yet we're not, we're admitting we're in a position where we're not really understanding it. Yeah. The idea is you'd want there you'd want to, you know, pick a set of things that are related. Like you said, like if if weight training is speaking to you, go there and really be be sincere about it versus just like running into those kinds of teachers who are like, oh, I have X, Y, and Z thing. And you can kind of tell that, oh, you you didn't dive really much into any of the things individually though. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, again, I think that ultimately, you know, we can't be the knowers of everything. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to write it down, the knowers of everything. It's impossible, right? And so what, what Addison, you're to your point, like creating this um, regimen for the people that have been going to the athletic training clinic, really assessing who it is for. You know, I think that that ultimately will help us along the way of research and, and then quantifying and, 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 and. Because one of the things that you did find in your research was that it was predominantly sort of heteronormative, right? It was either female or male in a lot of the studies that you found, right? And that that becomes tricky because how do we then include trans folks in that mix? Right. Also, are we looking at it from any other perspective, any other intersectional perspective? That gets a little bit more complicated. So I know one of the things, because um, Addison had me read, well, and I was on her panel, so I did have to read it, but to, to proofread, that was one of the things that we we started to notice as we were having conversations that these studies are wonder. Don't, you know, like I am not a sports scientist. I'm not even going to pretend like I, you know, but I can certainly read a study. And then when you look at the results and it says male, female, and it doesn't give you much more than that, that becomes really complicated very quickly because it does. It leaves populations out 
of the mix to be able to really get the information that Addison is able to provide, right, in a, in a fundamental way. But if if we had trans students, some of that research would not necessarily be beneficial. And I think that sometimes becomes very complicated very quickly when we're doing this kind of research, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, I think what it, what it all helps to illustrate too is, I mean, the level we touched on earlier, the level of diversity within dance that isn't like this small thing. I always say it's not a part of sports. It's its own separate and equally large and diverse thing from, you know, traditional sports. And when you add in all these other factors, all this intersectionality into the research, what it all comes down to is it's a lot more complicated than when you're growing up and your your dance teacher who comes from a traditional mindset is telling you don't eat carbs. Like, and like, that's your kind of thing or don't lift weight or don't do, and it's like, no, we kind of need to delve a lot more into this. And, and again, that's why I was so excited about this episode saying that you, you know, had jumped into weight training and cross training. Like that's something that is very non-traditional in, in our world. And we constantly are, you have people without any sort of certification or diving deeper into it saying, oh, you can't do that because you're going to get bigger or, okay. oh, you can't do that. You're going to lose your flexibility. Hmm. Well, in the combating of the stigma, right? Yeah. Like, and to, and uh, what I like, again, I wonder, it's, I always like, I'm so like such a thinker, but I always wonder like, Addison, if you didn't have those folks in your family that were giving right. you that information and, and in some ways inspiring you one way or the other, even though you directly didn't believe them at first, you know, I think that there's something in, like what would have happened if you didn't, right? right. Would, would those myths have taken over? Right. And then what if your physical health have suffered, would your mental health have suffered? Right. And there's there's a whole another like snowball effect that could have happened, right? I think if I didn't have the support system that I did, I don't think I would have continued my weightlifting training because I know that weightlifting is not something that dancers naturally gravitate towards. And that's something that I was extremely experiencing in my dance community as well. It was a hard pill to swallow, but I had people making fun of me for lifting because I went to the gym and I lifted weights and they knew that that was something that was important to me. And I really hope they didn't mean it as a jab. And it was something that they just connected to with me, but it was a hurtful thing. And if I didn't have my support system of my family who knew what weight lifting could do for a person and also my trainer at the time and my coach, I don't think I would have stuck with it the way that I did. Yeah. And the mental and uh, physical health benefits to getting that right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Don't be mean to your friends. All right. That's my that's my story. Don't do that. I also think I, I do want to mention this because you did find two researchers. The research is very, very, uh, it's still uh, coming out and I'm probably going to butcher this name. So I'm going to apologize. But Dr. K. Nessler, K-A-I, and scientist Jonna Harper are really going into sort of looking a little bit more into the benefits of weight training for the trans community. So I think that that's something I want to I want to highlight those two names because those two names did come up in your research. I think it's really important to give some some information to our listeners so that they're able to to look and investigate a little bit more. You know, I think, again, just in the ways in which we can be more inclusive uh, with our research, um, we talked a lot with Kayla about, you know, so we have the IRB, Institutional, I think, Review Board is what it's called. I'm not sure. Institutional Research Board. They're different at different universities, right? But this idea of using human subjects. 
and that right and how right. how difficult it is to get that research approved and then if you want to do any sort of longitudinal study and you have dance students that are only here for 4 years that becomes really complicated too is like how what's who benefits from a longitudinal is 4 years enough is that not enough in the case of Addison she, you've been training weight training for 2 years and 3 months you had said for you it feels like you're like I'm in this I'm ready to go I feel good I feel great about this you know but over time, right, unless we have those data support systems uh, that are maybe upheld by the system, are we allowed to believe it or not, right? And I think the proof is in the pudding for sure. But definitely just to get some more information out there, um, I absolutely, I think is so important. My, my next question would be, what advice do you have for students who are like, okay, so I've heard all these myths, you know, and now I listen to this podcast and I, I'm thinking of maybe trying, but I, I don't know where to start or I don't want to look stupid in the gym, right? We hear all of these like oh, different, yeah. different thoughts that <laughs> go on into our own brains or, you know, things that young students have told us. So any advice you have for students who could, who, who are like, all right, I'm just going to jump in the pool. I'm going to see what happens. Uh, yes. I would say if you have anyone around you who is into weight training that's like first and foremost I would go to them but I would also ask them where they're getting their information from as well so that you can again backside that information and see if like what they're teaching you has substance or not besides that as much as I did say the internet and social media can be an evil place for the fitness industry it can also be such a helpful place and I think finding the right resources is possible. You just have to put in the work to be willing to find them. I have a whole weight lifting like tips and tricks for people who are just starting. So maybe if you are a university dancer asking your college, if they do have some resources like that, I know all of the things that I've created in weight training has become a resource for the university because I've made sure that it is. And also, as I've provided that information, I have also asked that it's proofread to make sure that I'm providing correct information. Because again, I am not certified in those things. But also, I do put a lot of time and effort into them. So I do think that I have some substance in what I'm saying, because I am doing the research on the backside, just because I don't have the money to get a certification doesn't mean I'm necessarily not doing all of the work to find that information. Right. Also, your local gyms, you can go and try and find a personal trainer at a local gym. Most gyms do offer that and you can also back end their training as well. Yeah, I love what you're saying is like, uh, study the thing, do your research, you know, and I would, I would argue too, like if something doesn't feel right, if you do have a personal trainer that, you know, they do like the week sessions for free or, or something like that. And something just doesn't feel right. The research is so, so important. Self-research too, right? Like, how am I feeling in the session? What is happening in the session? Do I feel supported? Do I feel guided? Or am I just sore? Right? <laughs> like we have to identify those things. I think it's really important that we, we do some like self-analysis too. And then also that like the research is really important, right? And that those myths are perhaps are not, not entirely true, right? right? And I mean, I think sometimes too with myths, like maybe a grain of salt, it has been in there for someone at some point in time, but that doesn't mean that it's for the entire population. And I think that's the other thing that we need to start recognizing is these myths around cross-training for dancers. You know, for a long time, I, I, I won't say the book, but I read a book 
and it talked about <laughs> running and dance and it was like absolutely yeah. not you do not run it's too hard on your joints it's this it's that da, 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 da. swim instead oh yeah swim instead swim instead swim instead and i was like but i like running and when i'm out of breath in a pool and i feel like i'm gonna drown my anxiety goes through <laughs> so i can't like yes and so do i research the proper shoes to wear the proper socks to wear if my joint if it's very 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 cold out Am I going to wear more layers and run inside instead of outside, right? I think there's also that that needs to be addressed because I there are still those myths that exist. And this book is from a very, very, very important person. I think it gets complicated very quickly because if it does something for my mental health and I'm I'm willing to do the research of like, what socks do I need to wear? What shoes do I need to wear? How often do I need to change it? Do I need an app to track how many miles I've run in these shoes and when I need to throw them out? Even though I'm like, oh, it costs money. I don't want to, Right. Those kinds of things I think are really important. And you touched on another thing too about this idea of the cost. It can get very expensive very quickly, right? And so I think there is a lot of good information out there as well. And so continuing to do some research on our own to investigate what is out there and how it can support us, I think is is vital. And the good news is you are at a university where you can access those, right? I think that's also really, really, really important. But you gave us some really good information about this, the dichotomy of that is social media fitness, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. that's, a, that's always a, a big one to hit on. I think that's probably true for everything. Uh, in the chiropractic world, I definitely have opinions on a lot of the social media that's out there don't don't believe everything on instagram and tiktok <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. with with that then what is how would you like to see kind of as we kind of always wrap on this higher concept question how would you like to see the industry change as a result of kind of what you've experienced with weight training and dance and where would you like to see you know things go in the future ideally in your your mind I want resources for weight training and cross training to become more available. And I brought this up to, I know I've at least brought it up to Alex and I think I've brought it up to Danielle as well, but say traditional collegiate athletes have access to gyms and things yeah. like that. And dancers aren't given those same resources. So asking questions of why, and why are we not included when we are also athletes? We are also putting our body under stress. So what are we doing to heal it? I also think looking at weight training from a standpoint of, am I doing it correctly rather than am I applying the max amount of weight possible? So for me, I learned form over anything else. If you see me in the gym, that is the thing that I think comes first form before anything else, because that's giving stability to your body and making sure that you're loading things and your body safely. And you can get caught up in the thing and revved up and you're like, I want to max out, but is it safe to max out? Are you doing it properly? And asking those questions. I think sometimes when people walk into weight training, they walk into it from, a, oh, I don't want to be seen as differently. And I just started. So what if I just pick up this weight that's too heavy for me? And then there's swinging motions, the alignment's wrong, form 
safety first. <laughs> yeah, well, we talk about it a lot in class, like yeah. form over function, right? If, you know, we talk about it in history, you have to know the history, you have to know the rule to break the rule, you have to, right? And you have to look at history. And if it's ahistorical, we need to readdress these conversations um, because they're missed for reasons, right? These these ideas are out there for, somebody wrote them down at some point, but I, I agree. And to go back to your point about, you know, college education and and, and tuition dollars and, and who gets access to what, when and why, and how, I think are really important conversations to continue to dive into because you're right. The reality is we do put our bodies through stress. We do put our bodies through these things. And I also want to bring up a point that you mentioned as well that, okay, I just want to max out. Okay. Well, what do you have rehearsal that night? Do you have a show coming up? Do you have a, right. And so these ways of really looking at your, your work um, or your week holistically, and saying, you know what? Yeah, today's not the day that I'm going to max out because I have like these yeah. four rehearsals and this show. Oh, and then I have to go work my late night shift or whatever that is, right? Well, it's like strength versus endurance versus maintenance. Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, be- yeah, beautifully said. Can you say that again? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's, I mean, weight training for strength versus endurance versus maintenance. You know, depending on what you're what you're after that week or that day, that session, whatever it is, it's important in how you change, how you're training. Mm, And mm. just like with dance, I mean, are you going to try a new, you know, a new step that you've never done before 25 minutes before opening night of a show? You don't need to do that step. Probably not the best idea. (laughs) Probably more (laughs) dynamic warm up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Check that that lift's going well, you know, those things. That's great. Exactly. Wow. Well, Addison, I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I I love, you know, the podcast really is about more education and more actionable tools that we can we can work towards. So this idea, you know, some of the things that are springing to my mind right now is advancement in research, particularly as it relates to the trans community, advancement in in possible funding for dance programs as well, equal to, um, you know, athlete athletes, um, or not, right, we don't have the same amount of dance, uh, same, you know, we don't have a, a, a football team in this and this and this and this and all these teams, but still that there is access to it, that it's available yeah. and that it is, um, I want to say accessible, right? Because sometimes it's available, but maybe it's not accessible, you know, if the hours don't work or, or, or things like that. Um, we brought this up before in another podcast, but not now, but um, also partnering with community, um, community outsiders who are invested in the health of the dancer, I think is also a really important tool. And then personal research. And, you know, for, as your professor, it makes me very happy to hear that there's some personal investment in that too. I think ultimately that's how we get passionate about things. And that's how we, we, we get to like maybe push the needle in the, in the right direction. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much, Addison, for joining us and sharing your insights. We're very grateful for you showing up and showing out. So I appreciate it. So if you enjoyed these conversations, follow us on Instagram. Podcast information is available in the bio. And I want to thank you again for tuning in. And next month, uh, we're going to have more critical conversations. But we also would be remiss if we did not also thank our collaborators. A music composition by Alexander Osman and graphic design by Dr. Kelsey Elliott. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day.